Good morning, Parkway Church. How are we doing? So glad to see you guys. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege today to walk you through our next story in Scripture. But before we do, I've got a little issue that I need to resolve. At Parkway, whenever there's a little problem in our midst or a controversy within our midst, I like to be the kind of guy who stands up and says, we need to have a family talk. And so we're going to have a family talk as I get started this morning, because a little controversy has come out in my last two weeks of teaching. And it's simply this. How do you pronounce the king of Egypt? Is it Pharaoh or Pharaoh? So let's take a vote. This is how we're going to settle it. For all of you that um, would say it's a Pharaoh, raise your hand, Pharaoh. Okay, now the godly people, Pharaoh. All right, there you have it. Last week, some of the young adults who were watching the message together at another campus as they were leading in worship, and they were like, did Pastor Mike just go full-on redneck with Pharaoh? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Well, we are in this series called Journey to Freedom. We're walking through the book of Exodus and how God is going to free his people from the king of Egypt. And how God is going to call his people because he hears their cry out of captivity, out of being mistreated. And we heard in week one of our study at Exodus that God hears the cries of his people. They were in captivity for 400 years. And God heard their cry and called a man named Moses to free his people. And then last week, we saw the message of God through Moses to Pharaoh. We saw the message of God through Moses to the king of Egypt. And God brought some progressive plagues upon the people. Everyone paid a price because of the, the king's hard heart. And, and, and I challenge you to check your heart before God and to check your heart before people, because with a hard heart, we won't listen. With a hard heart, we will ignore the warning signs. With a hard heart, we will rebel against God. So I said, check your heart. And now we continue the journey of God's people because eventually Pharaoh relented. Eventually he relented and freed the people. And now God's people are in the wilderness heading towards the promised land. And three months after Pharaoh freed them, we pick up the story of the people of God at Mount Sinai. So if you brought your Bible... Open up with me to Exodus chapter 19. And one of the amazing things about this story that we're going to study together today is that when God called Moses, when he used that burning bush to call Moses to go be the freer of his people, one of the things that God told Moses as confirmation that I am sending you is this, there will come a day when my people will worship with you on this mountain. You want proof that I'm calling you Moses? You want proof that I'm calling a stuttering spokesperson? You want proof that I can work through you, Moses? There's coming a day when my people who have been in captivity for 400 years will worship with you on this mountain. And today we see the fulfillment of that promise. Today we see the fulfillment of the reality that God freed his people and brought them to this place so that they might worship him and very specifically so they might learn from him Today, we're talking about the first four Ten Commandments. This week, we're talking about the first four, focusing on keeping your heart soft towards God, keeping God first. 
And then next week, we look at the last six, and that's our relationship with people. And we say, you know what? We're going to love people and love God because we are hearing from him. I have a soft heart towards him and towards people. But before God gave the Ten Commandments, there was a powerful three-day experience at the foot of Mount Sinai. And I want you to catch it. Here's what happened on day one as they were journeying. Exodus 19, verse 3 through 6. Then Moses went up to God and called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations will you be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So on day one, God and Moses meet at Sinai. And God says, I want you to go remind the people of the covenant that we made. Remember a few weeks back when Abraham and God made a covenant where God promised that Abraham would have land. They're about to have that in a generation or so. God promised that Abraham would have descendants. And God promised that a blessing would come through Abraham. God is saying to Moses, I want you to go now and remind the people of that covenant. Remind the people that everything is mine on the earth. Everything is mine because I create it. But you are my people. Everything is mine, but you are especially mine, God says. To the people of God, to the Hebrews gathered together in Mount Sinai. Some two million people at this point following Moses. I want you to get it. What did God call them to be? He called them to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He was setting them apart. He was going to use them in a unique way in the world to declare his goodness, right? The interesting thing is, as we look at the New Testament Christian, God says the same thing about you and me, that you are a priest. You are a part of a holy nation, a royal family, friends. God wanted to meet, and he said, let's remember who you're meeting with. I'm the God that freed you from Egypt. I'm the God that carried you on eagle's wings. I'm that guy who keeps his covenant. Day two, keep reading Exodus 19, 9 through 11, or 8 through 11. Then all the people responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Essentially, the people heard from God and then said what we just sang a moment ago. You can have it all, Lord. You can have it all, Lord. We will do everything you tell us to do. So Moses brought the answer back to God. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready on the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So God says, remember my plan for my people, a holy nation, a people of ministers who are making a difference in the world around them, a people that are serving me and worshiping me. And coming out of captivity, they needed to do some cleanup. 
They need to consecrate themselves before they met with God in this holy moment. So God says, for the next two days, you're going to clean, clean yourself up. You're going to consecrate this special third day to meet with me. You're going to set that aside. You're going to look forward to meeting with me. Now keep reading. Exodus 19, 16 through 19. On the morning of the third day, so day one, God says, hey, I'm going to meet with you. And here's who I am. Day two, God says, hey, I'm going to speak through a cloud and people are going to hear me and they need to consecrate themselves. Now, morning of day three, get this. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Do do you see this scene? Once again, our God is coming down to rescue his people. Today, he's going to rescue us with truth. He's going to rescue us with ten commandments that are best for us. Once again, our God sees people that need to clean themselves up to be with him, and yet he comes down and meets with us. Once again, our God comes as our rescuer. In the Ten Commandments that he gives us, these are divine instructions that you can find in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. In the Ten Commandments, like I had to memorize them when I was in Indian Guides. Anybody ever have to memorize the Ten Commandments for Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or Brownies or uh, Awana or your mama or whatever? Anybody? <laughs> the divine instructions. One, how to love God. Two, how to love people. Three, how to live well. And four, how to be God's people. These ten commandments, divine instructions on how we can love God, how we can love people, how we can live well, and how we can be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what the ten commandments are all about. Like I said a moment ago, today we're going to deal with the first four. saying, Mike, can we assume that today's talk is shorter because we're only dealing with four of the ten? Well, you could assume that. You would be wrong, but you could assume that. Let's jump into the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, 1 through 11. We start in verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God was reminding his people that he has a unique relationship with them because of who they are, who he is, and what he's done for them. And based on his unique relationship with them, Now the commandments come. Commandment number one is found in verse number three. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's stop right there. Pretty amazing to think that the Israelites or the Hebrew people would would have any other god before God. I mean, look at what they had just seen. He parted the Red Sea so that they could walk on dry land. He led them and would lead them by Smoke and by fire. I mean, he was leading them. And yet here he has to remind them, don't have any other gods before me. Because while they were in Egypt, they were in a society that had many gods. 
They were in a society that worshipped many false gods. And that false gods and the false religions of their day had influenced them. And so God looks and says first, You shall have no other gods before me. And then commandment number two, coming in verse four through six. You shall not make for yourself an image in form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath it in the waters below. What God is saying is you don't make an image of me. You don't make a caricature of me. You ever go to a fair and they make, like, you get that caricature drawn on yourself? I've never done it because I thought they would make my eyebrows like six inches wide, right? I thought they would make my, anyway, my forehead and my eyebrows would be huge. Right now you're thinking, I'm about to sketch one out of you. But what God here is saying, you should have no other gods before me and you should have no caricature of me. You shouldn't make an attempt to where you capture me in an image that could never capture all that I am or who I am. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third, the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousandth generations of those who love me and keep my commands. So have no other gods before me. Make no images and worship no false idols. Commandment number three. It's found in verse seven of Exodus 20. You shall, have, or you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I love that negative way it's written. He will not find them guiltless, which means we are found guilty. He will not find them guiltless, which means we are guilty if we misuse the name of the Lord. The people of God took this so seriously that they don't, even to this day, there are Jewish people that won't say the name of God or write the name of God because they don't want to use it or misuse it. They don't want it to be used in everyday light conversation. They take this so seriously. We'll talk about why in just a moment. And then the, the fourth command, found in verse 8 and following. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. And, and Sabbath means you cease or you rest. Sabbath means you stop. But, on the, se but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male female servant, nor your animals, nor your foreigners residing in your towns. What, what's interesting, let's just pause here for a second. Consider what your work is in modern day America. If God is saying here, for six days you work and on the seventh day you rest, consider what your work is. How many of you have a job that you get a paycheck for? Okay, that's, that's work, right? How many of you have children? Okay, that's work, right? How many of you have a, a place that you live that you need to clean, you need to do some dishes and dust and vacuum every six months or so? <laughs> right? Okay, that's work, right? How many of you um, have got everyday errands that need to be run? Like, like H-E-B to go is great, but you still have to go to H-E-B, right? How, how many, right? Okay, this is daily work. And what we're seeing here is God is saying, you work for six and you rest for one. You work for six and you worship me on one. Six days can look the same because you do your everyday business. 
But that seventh day looks different because it is a Sabbath for me. Why does God tell us to do this? Verse 11, Exodus 20. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. First commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment. You shall make no graven images, no false idol worship. Third commandment. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Fourth commandment. Set aside a day for the Lord, a Sabbath. You work six and you rest on one. Now, why in the world would God give his people these commands? Well, I I think it's this. I think it's because he saw the condition of their heart and said, I want you to keep your heart soft towards me. And for your heart to be soft towards me, you can have no other gods before me. For your heart to be soft towards me, you can't settle for a counterfeit or a caricature of a god and worship a false god. For your heart to be soft towards me, you need to realize that when you say my name, you're saying something. For your heart to stay soft towards me, you need to realize who's doing the work and who's doing the worship. You need to set aside a day. You need to use my name correctly. You need to worship me and me alone. You need to have nothing and no one above me. Well, that brings us to our, the end of our study in Exodus 20 today. And it brings us to our most important question of the day. You know what the question is now if you've been around for a few weeks. It is so and is what? So I want to hear it loud and proud on three. One, two, three. Mike, so what that God freed his people? Mike, so what that God freed his people and he confirmed Moses by having them worship him in Mount Sinai? Mike, so what that God came down in a fire and spoke through the cloud? Mike, so what? What does this have to do with me today? How am I supposed to live with these first four of the Ten Commandments? Let's unpack that together because you and I, and I want you to get it. You and I, these commandments were written not to limit us, but written to bless us. These commandments were written because this is the best way to live, to love and to honor God. You can look at it rules and say, I don't want to follow the rules. I'm saved by grace, not by the rules. Let me just tell you, we are saved by grace in Jesus Christ because none of us can keep the rules all the time. But get this. That doesn't mean that God's rules still aren't best for us. It doesn't mean that his commandments are any less true or any less powerful because we are saved by grace. Let me tell you, the grace of God should lead us to obey God more and more and more. The grace of God should lead us to say yes to God and keep a soft heart towards God and to check our heart to make sure that we're walking in obedience to him. So what's it mean today? You can fill in some blanks with me. The first thing is this. If we're going to follow what God is teaching us here, and I gave you a heads up on this one a moment ago, we're going to have no one and no thing above God in your life. If there is one true God, then you're going to have no one and nothing above God in your life. There's no relationship that will make your life complete. You already have a relationship with God. Relationships are good, 
but they come second to God. There's no job that's going to provide for you better than your God could provide for you. We need to work hard. We need to provide for our families, but never forget that it's God that's the ultimate provider for your life. Have no one and nothing above God in your life. If right now you're having to disobey God to stay in relationship with someone, perhaps that's a, a reminder to say, hey, you know what? I need to make sure that that person and my desire for them, my desire for a future with them, my desire isn't above my God. Right now, if you're having to cut some corners and have less than full integrity in how you live and how you work, maybe just maybe you need to check that and say, God, I'm not going to put anything above you. You are my one true God. One of the reasons that we do small groups around here at Parkway is because we all need a place where once a week, twice a month, however often your group meets, we all need a place where we're reminded to keep God first in our lives. Everything else competes for that first position, so we need a place where we're reminded and where we see others that learn and are learning how to keep God first. I had a friend that joined a small group a few years back, and on Wednesday nights before he joined this group, he had a poker match. He played every Wednesday night with a group of guys. And he looked back after joining that small group and, and stepping away from the poker table. He said, you know what? I am so glad that I joined a small group because being in a small group is so much better than losing my shirt at poker every week. You know, being in small group is so much better because it reminds me that God is above all of my hobbies God is above all of my relationships. God is above all. Let no one or no thing come before you and God. He's the number one position. Second, if we're going to live like this, then we're going to worship God alone. And you can fill in that blank. We're going to worship God alone. Because here's the crazy thing. The God who created you and called you by name to believe in Jesus he desires for you to worship him with your life. And, and when we see we're challenged to not have any false images or to have false worship in our lives, that's a reminder and a call to say, worship God with all you've got. Because the uniqueness of God requires a unique devotion. One of the reasons that we worship as we do with song and with prayer and with learning and relationships it's because each of those things helps us tie into the unique nature of God. Each of those things is a way that we relate to him. And he seeks that kind of worship from you and from me. Now, this isn't just a place we show up to. This is a place where we commune with God. This isn't a place that we just show up to and serve. This is a place that we serve by the power of God at work in our life. This is a place where men and women and children have a chance to do what Jesus says here in John 4, 23 through 24. Listen to this. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
you think about this. And I know this is your conviction because you're here, but I want to fight a worldview that says all religions are equal. What Jesus just said here is that we don't get to choose who we worship because there's one true God and he seeks worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Friends, all religions aren't the same. All worship isn't equal. So we worship God and we worship God alone. Number three, honor God. You can fill in these blanks. Honor God with your words. Honor God with your words. If we say there's one true God and we're worshiping in spirit and in truth, the natural outpouring of that life would be to honor him with our words. The name of God should be honored and the name of God should be protected. I mean, think about it. The consistency that we use with our words shows what we believe about the person of God. I mean, do, do we believe that God has called us to be a holy nation? Do our words show that? Do we believe when the Bible says to not let any uh, unwholesome talk come out of your mouth? Do we believe that what our words say communicates something about our view of God? Because that's what's being said here. Listen to what James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in James 3, 9 through 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. What James is saying here is let's have some consistency. If you serve the one God and worship him, let's have consistency with your words. Because what you say with your mouth says what you believe about the person of God. Now, number four. We are going to set apart a day for the Lord. The biblical word is Sabbath. And as Christians, we celebrate the Sabbath, not as the Hebrews do on Saturday, but we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. Why? Because that's the day that Jesus was raised again from the dead. It's the first day of our week. And so we set aside the first day of our week for the Lord. And I really want you to think about this. How could you set aside a day where you rest from your everyday work. You're not going to haul kids from activity to activity. You're not going to uh, be here, there, and everywhere. You're going to have a day where you rest. You're not going to work from home. You're not going to answer email. You're not going to find a few hours just to get some things done. Why? Because God worked six and rested one and calls us to do the same. And again, remember, this is for our benefit. Remember, it's for our benefit because we remember that he's the one who works and we're the one who worship, the one who works. Dwight Moody was a great evangelist and pastor in Chicago. Dwight lived between 1837 and 1899. And I found a quote from Moody that just made me laugh 
Because if you talk to pastors these days, one of the things that pastors are really concerned about is how attendance patterns in churches have changed in the last decade. Uh, used to, if you were highly dedicated to a church, you were there three out of four weeks. These days, those that would say, I'm highly dedicated to my church, one out of six weeks. And pastors are beating their head against the wall. We're blaming social media and we're blaming sports teams and we're blaming all this stuff, right, for the change in attendance patterns. And so I saw this quote by Moody, and it made me laugh because it's not an issue of technology. It's not an issue of, of opportunity. It's not even an issue of sports leagues with kids. It's an issue of our heart where we say, I will rest one and I will work six. I mean, listen to what Moody said. He, he wrote this. He said, men seem to think that they have the right to change the holy day into a holiday. Moody was one of the best preachers ever, and I see what he did right there. He said, some people want to change the holy day, that's the Sabbath, to a holiday, which is a day off. Are y'all impressed by my preaching of Moody there? He wrote this. He said, the young have more temptations to break the Sabbath than we had 40 years ago. And then he lists out three great temptations from the mid-1800s. The three great temptations. First, the trolley car that will take you into the country for a nickel to have a day of recreation. Today, that's like your suburban. The first and greatest temptation is that suburban that can take you wherever your crew wants to go. Second, the bicycle which is leading a good many Christian men to give up their Sabbath and spend the day on excursions. I love that. That evil bicycle. <laughs> Instead of waiting and worshiping, they are wandering through the countryside on their bikes. And then the third one. And they spend the day on excursions. And the third, the Sunday newspaper. This is when the Sunday newspaper meant something, I guess. And this is when the Sunday newspaper would get, would get everybody's attention and they wouldn't go to church because they were busy scrolling the Tribune. But they did it like this back then. You see, the issue isn't, has technology changed? The issue is the heart of man is still the same. And so God reminds us to work six, you should work. And to take one is a day of rest and worship where you rest from your work. And friends, raising kids is work. Hauling kids is work. Shopping is work. There's a lot of work that goes on to make our lives work. And, and God says, how about you try resting one and working six? Say, Mike, can I choose which one of these commands I obey? <laughs> no. <laughs> God desires for us to have a soft heart towards him. Mike, I don't misuse the name of God so I can walk away from today's message without conviction or change. That's not my issue. Well, your issue is the one that God is going to pinpoint on you right now. Your issue is the one where you're going to say, God, I'm feeling a little convicted on this. God, I'm feeling like I need to do a little work on this. That's your issue. Let's ask God together to speak to us and say, Show us our focus to please you, to honor you, to have a soft heart towards you.
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open the word and to learn today. God, I pray right now that you would help us all to apply this message to our lives. God, I pray that we wouldn't misuse your name. I pray that what we say would show what we believe. God, I pray that we wouldn't have any other gods before you and that we would worship you and you alone have no false gods, no false worship. God, I pray that in a world that says all religions are equal, God, may we be people who stand boldly on the truth that we worship you and we worship you alone because there is one true God. And God, help us to live our lives in such a way that we work six and rest one. God, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus where he says that the Sabbath was made for man. It's made for our blessing. May we know it. A day of worship, a day of rest, a day of relationships. May we know it. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath so that we legalistically keep a rule, God. But you made it for us so that we would know that you're the one who works and we're the ones who worship. Just pray that God would speak to you and say, hey, you know what? Here's something you need to work on. Believer in Jesus, where is God calling you to say yes to his commands when it comes to your relationship with him? If you've never believed in Christ, your step isn't to obey the commandments. You could never obey enough. Your step is to believe that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and that Jesus is the Savior of the world. The Bible says that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And he came and lived a perfect life and died a criminal's death on the cross. And now he invites you to believe and to find life in him and him alone. If today's your day to say yes to the grace of God, Let's mark it with a prayer. You can pray, Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.